Today's Bible reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, and we are reading to chapter 6, verse 10. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, a lot of people have shown up. I haven't turned around and have a look. Uh, my name is Steve, and uh, I'm going to be delivering uh, the message for us today, uh, but I can't do any of this without God's help, so I'm just going to open in prayer quickly. Father God, I pray that uh, today you would be at work uh, through your word here in Galatians 5 and 6, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in your sight, uh, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you're sitting on a plane midway through your flight, and you decide that it might be a nice idea to buy an instant scratchy because for some reason the planes sell these, uh, with the spare change sitting in your pocket just as a way of passing a little time. But as you're slowly peeling that layer of silver off the ticket, you suddenly realise that you've won $16,000 in cash. In your excitement uh, and your mild disbelief, uh, you call over the flight attendant to confirm what your eyes have just seen, and they take a look, and their jaw also drops in disbelief. You've just won 16 k mid-flight. For whatever reason... Uh, you also decide to ask the flight attendant if you can cash the ticket there and then. And they jokingly and rightly respond that they don't carry that kind of cash on the plane and that you'd have to cash it in after it's landed. So what would you do at this point? Well, obviously, for most of us, we'd probably hang onto the ticket, cash it after the flight has landed. But this exact scenario, right, this actually happened in the UK around 10 years ago. But instead of holding onto his ticket... Joyous at the certain future of riches coming his way, uh, this gentleman got frustrated. He got so upset uh, that the flight crew wouldn't just magically produce a briefcase full of cash as confetti and balloons kind of drop from the cabin ceiling. And so he decides to eat his ticket in front of the flight crew. 
Yes, he munched down on his cardboard scratchy, enjoying the world's most expensive in-flight snack. Now, I'm not entirely sure why he did this, but I'm sure you'll all agree that his actions didn't align with the truth that was presented before him. He couldn't wait the few hours to cash his winning ticket, and so he destroys it, acting completely out of line with the reality of just having won $16,000. Now, in this part of Galatians, uh, we're up to a point in the letter which is a little bit like this scenario. You see, we've been deemed winners. We're holding the ticket to eternal life because we're justified by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and now God's Spirit lives in us, which is kind of like our ticket guaranteeing salvation. So Paul then urges us, saying, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit in 525, which is another way of saying, since we've been saved, go on and act like it. We're not to be like the man on the plane who won the jackpot and then flatly denied it through his actions. Rather, since you have been saved and the Holy Spirit now lives in you, which is a particular focus all throughout Galatians, act like it. Bear the fruit that the Spirit bears, love, joy, peace, and so on, which should result in good works towards everybody. And in the last verse of today's reading, especially to those here in the church. And as we'll soon see, uh, those who bear this fruit, who act in accordance with the reality of their salvation through acts of love and service for the benefit of those around them, well, this is Paul's very definition of what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, to live a life consistent with the reality of our salvation. Or the other way Paul puts it, this is the definition of what it means to be a spiritual person. And we'll see what I mean by this in a moment. So let's begin. Uh, If you've accessed the outlines uh, online, I'll be following through uh, the three main points I've thrown up there. Uh, We're going to begin at point one. Uh, Let us do good to all people, uh, the extension of the fruit of the Spirit. So as I've just said, um, these last two chapters of Galatians, they concern themselves with what it means to live a spiritual or spirit-filled life now that we've been saved. We've just come off the back of the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, so it kind of makes sense that this is the focus. Uh, But to highlight just how much this is in Paul's thinking here, uh, we merely merely need to do a little bit of counting. Because you see, the Greek word for spirit is used a staggering 13 times in these last two chapters of Galatians, with 12 of them in reference to God's Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit. So the focus of this section is really about what it means for us as I've said, to keep in step with the Spirit, or another way of saying that, is what it means to be spiritual or Spirit-filled. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when I think of uh, spiritual people, what often comes to mind is the, the women selling crystals and reading tarot cards at the South Bank markets. And they make claims that praying in the right way or doing certain actions or chants will somehow break a hole in reality. Uh, It'll give you access to a spiritual realm that you previously didn't have. But this isn't the case in the Christian life, especially here in Galatians. See, the spiritual reality we live in and are to keep in step with is one that has already happened in our lives. The Holy Spirit has already been given to us from God. So if we do a quick survey uh, of Galatians, uh, we'll realize how much Paul emphasizes this fact. So Galatians 3.2, Paul says, 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, did we receive the Spirit because we prayed the right way or followed the right rituals or customs or simply by believing the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins? Moving down to 3.14, Paul continues, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Again, Paul repeats himself here. We received the Spirit by faith. And in case it wasn't clear by now, we'll have uh, one more look at a passage from Galatians, a very famous one, Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you see, we as Christians already have the Holy Spirit living in us. It was given to us by God, through faith. We don't have to pray the right prayers or chant rhythmically or possess the right tools or crystals to access the spiritual realm. We already have access because God's Spirit lives in our hearts, being sent there as a gift from Him. But sometimes I think we all tend to act a bit more like the rest of the world when it comes to this idea of being spiritual, Spirit-filled Christians. That, like the, uh, the crystal-selling spiritual gurus in the markets, somehow we need to do the right things in order for the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives. But in Galatians, we're told the amazing and should, what should be comforting news that we already have the Spirit in our hearts. Like the man on the plane, we're already winners. We already have the Spirit. We are already saved. And so we're to act in line with this amazing reality. So this part of Galatians, uh, it effectively revolves around what it means or what it looks like uh, for the Spirit to be in our hearts. It's not a recipe designed to invite him in because that's already occurred on the day we placed our trust in Jesus. And with this understanding firmly grasped in our minds, uh, Paul's argument here in chapters 5 and 6 is that the spiritual one is the one whose life radiates the fruit of the Spirit which already sits in our hearts. And this specifically, uh, here in chapters 5 and 6, in practical relationships of love with one another. So it should be no surprise then uh, that Paul finishes uh, with today's words. Uh, He calls us not to grow weary in 6, 9 and 10. Not to grow weary in doing good to all people. Because by doing this, by doing good to all people, especially to one another here today, we are a prime example of what it means to be spirit-led or spirit-filled Christians. So the whole thing kind of becomes a lot less mystical when we see what this means in the way that Paul describes it here. Now, to demonstrate this point, um, that doing good to all people uh, is one of the primary markers of what it means to be spiritual or spirit-filled, let me give you two very brief examples uh, from the first verse of chapter 6. So Paul's just finished uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, And he goes on to say this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Firstly, you who live by the Spirit literally reads, you, the spiritual ones. Paul is calling those who live by the Spirit, spiritual ones. 
And what are these spiritual ones to do in this verse? Well, they're to restore the person caught in sin gently, or more literally, they're to restore the person in a spirit of humility or gentleness. This is literally what it says. So, the spiritual one is to restore the person caught in sin in a spirit of humility and gentleness. He's he's demonstrating here in the first verse that there's a direct link between our love and service of one another and being a spiritual person. It's primarily about our outward relationships. And once we understand this, once we can see the kinds of things Paul has in mind here in chapter 6, it answers a lot about the rest of what he says. So first, uh, the spiritual ones are the ones who restore the person caught in sin, as I've mentioned. Uh, They're the ones who carry each other's burdens in uh, verse 2. 6.6. They're the ones who receive instruction, presumably uh, from uh, a teacher or a preacher, and they share all good things with their instructor. We'll get into what that means soon. Uh, six nine, the spiritual ones are the ones who don't become weary in doing good. And finally, six ten, they're the ones who, in any given opportunity, seek to do good to all people, but especially to their brothers and sisters in Christ. The spiritual person, in other words is the one whose focus and efforts revolve around how to love and serve the people around them. It tends to defy the basic notion that to be spiritual involves the the opposite of these things, a closing off or a shutting out of the people around you to achieve some kind of inward piety. Now, I'm not saying it's not these things, strictly speaking. So spiritual disciplines, as we've just talked about um, with uh, Dave, spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading, they're very important for the life and health of the Christian. But the Bible's general focus on spirituality almost always lands on the side of loving your neighbour. It has an outward look. And that's the overarching principle which drives this chapter today. So now we've laid uh, those tent pegs and we've seen that spirituality takes a remarkably outward focus here. Uh, let's have a closer look uh, at some of the specific examples brought up here in chapter 6. And uh, this takes us to point 2. Uh, being a spiritual person includes bearing one another's burdens uh, in humility. Now it shouldn't be a shocker uh, or a surprise to find out that we live in a society or a culture that glorifies the self. Uh, that everything we see in advertising is attempting uh, to make you the centre of the universe uh, in a bid to push you into buying their product. Uh, This applies in every sphere of advertising. So I don't know if you've ever seen online, you have these limited time offers with the countdown timer. Uh, What they're trying to do is to make you think that you better jump in or you're going to miss out. And I've done that before, and then the timer resets the next time you open up the browser. It's like magic. But advertising might also be appealing to an insecurity, Uh, like the way that you look, uh, or the things that you own. Like this ad here, you better get the new iPhone because you'll look ridiculous walking around with a device that's not the most advanced iPhone yet. All advertising, it targets the self. It promotes you as the only thing that really matters in the universe. Uh, Our reality TV shows and gossip magazines, they're designed to do pretty much the same thing. Uh, They exist to put on display some of the worst of humanity to make you, the viewer, feel superior to everyone else out there, and it tends to work. You see, we live in one of the most self-centred, self-glorifying cultures ever to exist on the planet. 
And this is a real problem, especially when it comes to Galatians 6.1. Because the first real-world example Paul gives of living by the Spirit is how we look after those caught in sin. Now, how is this a problem? Well, the way we relate to the person caught in sin is almost always determined by who we think we are in relation to the sinner. And in a world where all marketing and culture centres around you, it's not that hard to suddenly think that you are better than everyone else out there, especially that fool who continually stumbles into the same sins time and time again. But you see, if we think that we're better than the people around us, then we become puffed up uh, with pride and arrogance. Any correction we attempt will potentially come from a place of contempt for that person. And this includes even within our marriages. Any comments or feedback can easily come from a place of, I am better than thou. But I should note here that the opposite is also true and just as damaging, that if we think the people around us are too good, they're too perfect or too amazing, then, then envy can arise and jealousy. And again, this affects the way we treat the person. We might, on the one hand, point out their sins as hard as we can to bring them down. Or on the other hand, we might idolise them to the point of overlooking sins, which really should be addressed. So what are we to do in this situation? Well, as we've discussed, uh, Paul puts it this way. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, uh, you, the spiritual ones should restore that person in a spirit of humility. There's the answer. But what does a spirit of humility or or gentleness actually look like? You see, some of you might remember Paul in chapter 2, if you're familiar with Galatians. He confronts Peter to his face. It's quite an overwhelming interaction if you reread it. And it might seem kind of strange that Paul does that, only to go on and say, restore the sinner in a spirit of gentleness. But the word Paul uses for gentleness here, it's, it's less about temperament. It's less about our temperament and more about our attitude towards ourselves. It's about correcting without a sense of pride or arrogance. Uh, probably best understood as uh, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So it's not about simply being gentle per se, It's more about our attitude of sober awareness of our own ability to get caught up in pride as we correct the sinner. And this is why Paul spends more time in this section uh, talking about the person correcting the sinner than the sin or the sinner themselves. You notice that? Because the arrogant or prideful corrector in reality can lead to a situation which is worse and more destructive for the church than the sin the person committed in the first place. So knowing this, knowing that Paul's focus is on the attitude of the person doing the correcting, well, this clears up a lot about the rest of today's reading. It may have seemed at first glance, uh, when we had the reading read to us, that Paul was just rattling off a bunch of random commands and principles. You know, he's laid down the fruit of the Spirit, and now he's going, oh, and here's a bunch of dot points with what you can do with that. You know, he wrote, uh, carry each other's burdens, share a good thing with your instructor. Uh, Don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows, Uh, and each one should carry their own load. They just seem like a bunch of random instructions thrown in there. And this list isn't exhaustive. 
But I want you to notice that all of these, everything he mentions in 6, 1 to 10, can fit into the categories of either being spirit-filled or prideful. And this is why we open today's reading uh, with the final two verses of chapter 5, as they form the lens uh, which, which we read the rest of the text today. It's kind of like this toy that I had as a kid. Uh, it's the one up there. It's, it's a red filter toy. I don't know if you've seen these before, if they're still around. Basically, you had this red filter, and without it, um, all you could see was a mess. The page would be covered in uh, blotches and sometimes other random text. But the Fancy Pants red filter uh, that my parents didn't have access to, thank goodness, uh, kept all of my secrets safe. Only I could see what was on the page. Because when I threw the red filter on the page, all the reds and oranges and yellows uh, would magically disappear, revealing the secrets which were held underneath. And the filter made sense of everything else on the page, revealing what I was meant to see. And the same applies here in chapter 6. We're meant to read it in light of 5.25 to 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. All of the instructions in chapter 6 fit in the categories of either being spirit-filled or conceited, prideful or envious. So having laid that down, um, we're going to go through a quick flash tour uh, of some of these things before we finish up. Firstly, carry each other's burdens, and 6 verse 2. Well, this is the work of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, Share all good things with your instructor. Well, this is talking about financially supporting your pastor as he's dedicated himself to the full-time study of the word and practical ministry. So by financially supporting your instructor, uh, you're in fact carrying his burdens for him. It kind of piggybacks off the first one. And this is the work of the Spirit in your life. As we look to other parts of chapter 6, we see some of the pride and envy-filtered stuff. Uh, We read things such as, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. This is a warning not to be prideful or arrogant before God, because he knows your heart. And as verse 7 says, he cannot be mocked or fooled. You can't fool God. Finally, 6.5, there's another warning against arrogance, for each one should carry their own load. And again, this is in reference to judgment before God, a burden which others cannot carry for you and is only achievable through faith in Jesus by the grace of God. And I'm hoping those of you who picked up on it, um, you can see the difference between uh, verse 2's carry each other's burdens and verse 5's each one should carry their own load. Kind of seems like a contradiction. But one sits in the spirit-led, spirit-filled category, right, in love and service of one another, and the other sits in the pride and envy category as a warning that at the end of the day, we're accountable to God. And Paul uses uh, different words uh, for burden and load there just to emphasize that point. So we've seen what it means to be spirit-led Christians and seen the dangers of pride and arrogance in this chapter. But let's just pull back for a moment. I want to try and land this in a space uh, that's really relevant for us here today at KPC. This brings us to point three, uh, bearing one another's burdens uh, in COVID times. Now, first, I don't know if you've noticed, but every so often uh, Steve Blanco brings up the budget from the front, usually during the notices, And the news is almost always that we're ahead. 
which is an enormous blessing that you should all be proud of. Now, to be clear, his salary doesn't rise on the basis of how much we give. It's not in his personal interest for people to fork out more. But rather, your giving is a sign that you are on board with the vision of this church. That's why we give. You want to see disciples made and Christians maturing under the word of God. So Paul's instruction in verse 6, that the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor... Well, this is Paul's way of saying that you are bearing one another's burdens through your generosity. And this, in turn, is the product of the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. You see, giving to the church actually says a lot more about your heart and the fruit that the Spirit is producing in it than anything else. So be encouraged personally, whenever Steve comes up here and gives uh, the budget update, whenever the church is doing well, uh, be encouraged Uh, because it's a sign that the Spirit is actually working here. Uh, The second thing I want to mention uh, relates to the difficulties we may have faced this year uh, in practically loving one another uh, during the pandemic. As we know, we we spent a fair bit of time in lockdown, uh, only doing church from our couches. It can be a lot harder uh, for us to bear one another's burdens when we're not even physically around to do that. And this is especially true uh, even today when we have a congregation that is still split uh, between existing online uh, and in person, like we're doing today. But the fact that you guys sanitise your hands on the way in, or at least you should have, the fact that you follow uh, Libby's instructions about entrances and exits, and the fact that you sing without spit flying out of your mouths and so on, well, these are all ways that we carry the load of one another that we practically love and care for one another. Now, Steve is not here to defend himself. He might be watching online, so I'm going to be slightly careful with what I say, but all the COVID adjustments, they they haven't really been that easy uh, for ministry. There's been a lot to adjust to, uh, and yet Steve's been able to love and serve you guys absolutely tirelessly. Um, He's even gone to the point of burning and delivering DVDs for congregants that haven't been able to attend in person and don't have access to the online channels. It's pretty amazing stuff, really. He loves you guys. And this is just the tip of the iceberg for everything that he does behind the scenes, right? And it's just one practical example of how he loves and serves you and how we can get ideas of how to do the same. So I want to challenge us this week uh, to consider what it might look like to be truly spiritual Christians. That is, those that bear the fruit of the Spirit for the love and service of one another. To consider what it might look like to bear one another's burdens. That might take many different forms. It could take the form of dropping a meal around to someone that needs it, uh, phoning the person who can't make church but, you know, needs the social interaction. Uh, It might involve something as simple as following the strict COVID guidelines for our church out of love and service for the vulnerable in our congregation and out of respect for those in our eldership and committee of management who are doing their best to enable us to meet like this today. See, our efforts in keeping in step with the Spirit, it's the extension of the gospel. In the words of Jesus, he said, The Son of Man, Jesus, came not to serve so not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how can we, who now have his spirit living in our hearts, 
be expressing the fruit and outworking of that spirit in our lives for the benefit of everyone else around us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Galatians 6. Lord, we thank you that uh, the Spirit uh, has been given to us as a gift from you through faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know that the Spirit lives in our hearts by faith, that it is uh, our guarantee of salvation. But Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this week, help us to know that through our assurance of salvation uh, comes the ability, Lord, uh, to use the fruit of that Spirit for the benefit of those around us. Lord, I pray particularly this year, as it has been a, a trying year for, for many of us here today. Lord, that you would help us to think outwardly, help us to look to those who need you and who need the love, who need the extra help to carry their burden. But Lord, I pray that you would help us avoid uh, contempt or pride. Help us to avoid trying to fix problems because we think we're better and we know the answers, Lord. Lord, I pray in humility you would help us uh, to be a church that loves your son and that the Spirit works its way out to doing good to all people, but especially those brothers and sisters here in the church. And we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.